Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm catching up with a long-time friend of Trinity Pizzeries and mine, uh, Mahesh Jetty, who is the Managing Director of SAI Marketing Council. But Mahesh, I noticed that you also are a self-proclaimed brand developer, architect, builder and restorer. Thanks, Darren. Uh, I suppose that's what I've been doing all my 40-plus years in marketing. You know, I've sort of lived with brands, breathed brands. Created brands, nurtured them, rebranded them, relaunched them, repositioned them. So I suppose I could claim that title of being a developer, being a builder, being an architect, and all all that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad because one of the things that uh, I'm uh, getting particularly uh, agitated and irritated about That's not is <laughs> is that um, a lot of people seem to uh, be forgetting what brands are and how important they are. Have you noticed the same trend? I think that's probably more as a result of a confusion between brand and branding. Right. A lot of people seem to mistake branding for brands. And I look at brand as something more about, something more fundamental, something more deeper in terms of who you are, what you stand for. Um, what's your purpose, but more importantly, something which is not often discussed, how do you behave? How do you behave with your customers, with your suppliers, with the environment, with the society, even with the tax office? I think all that goes into who you are and what your brand is. Because you do quite a bit of uh, speaking and especially lecturing. How do you describe brands to uh, someone that's coming into the industry for the first time or, or a brand? I actually tell my students that the brand is a business right? and the business is a brand. And I suppose then I'll sort of go on to explaining to them that the experience of the consumer is a brand and the brand is the experience. So if you remember those two fundamentals, the brand is a business, whatever you do to the brand affects the business, whatever you do to the business affects the brand and the experience of the brand, whatever experience the consumer you know, sort of experiences at that point in time is the brand mm. and what they see as the brand is the experience. So if, if, you, if you can equate those two, then I suppose you, you've got it pretty much right. Well, that fits really well with, you know, I remember reading Al Rees, you know, the 22 immutable laws of branding and uh, he described a brand as any pronoun is a potential brand. He didn't say they were brands, he said they're potential brands. And I find that really interesting because, you know, we live in this celebrity world where you say things like uh, Kardashian and you immediately uh, have a perception of what Kim Kardashian or Kanye West or, you know, in my day it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Schwarzenegger was a brand because they're a pronoun which has very strong associations with what that represents. I suppose it could. I mean, everybody is a brand. I suppose everything is a brand. If you look at it really very broadly and fundamentally, yes, I think everything is a brand. But I think where we seem to be sort of getting lost is equating some of those those brands, personality brands, with products. And I think we need to be very careful in terms of saying who we use 
as the spokesperson or the celebrity associated with the brand. And that could potentially lead to some conflicts in terms of what your brand stands for fundamentally and what this other you know, pronoun oh. you know, stands for. Yeah. And I think, I, think, I think that's an area where I believe. But anything potentially could be a brand. You are a brand. I am a brand. <laughs> Woolly. There you go. Yeah, we're, all, we're all brands. You know? <laughs> but uh, he did go on to say that the strength of the brand was the focus by which people define it because the brand ultimately exists in the mm -hmm. mind of the consumer. And so if you then asked a, a wide range of consumers what their, their response was to a particular brand, mm -hmm. then you could tell the strength of it by the focus or the, the convergence of what they felt and thought about that brand or associated with the brand. What did you think about that? I think there are two, two aspects to this. One is, yes, there needs to be a singular focus in terms of what the brand stands for. Um, I come from a physics background, I suppose you... you the singularity? Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably look at brand as a crystal, a crystal which has got multiple faces. Mm -hmm. And I think different people look at a different face or at different points in time they look at a different face of the brand. You know? But where I think we, we probably tend to err is hold the crystal so close to ourselves that we can't see it in all its complexity and all its dimensions. So first of all, we need to distance it from ourselves and turn it around to see how complex the brand is. That's mm. the first part of it. And a lot of the marketing work that happens, marketing within inverted commas, is on those faces on the surface of the brand. But now imagine you're passing light through the crystal, mm. uh, going back to you know, my physics, seven, yeah. year seven physics. It converges at a point outside of the crystal and that I call is the focus of the, of the brand, not necessarily what you see on the surface, mm -hmm. but something that's much more fundamental. But that focus should drive everything you do to the surface. I think we get so obsessed and fixated with what we do to the surface of the brand, the advertising, the social media, you know, our, our internet web, web page, that we tend to sort of forget what is that focal point. And that is your purpose, that is who you are, that is what you stand for, that is, what is your behavior? I'm going to extend your uh, light metaphor and your <laughs> physics metaphor yeah. because I find some people get so obsessed with analyzing and, and uh, projecting their brand purpose that they end up with total internal reflection. You know, when a light enters uh, a crystal and actually yeah, yeah. bounces around inside and actually never finds its way out again to that focal point. I know. I because know. ultimately the the brand exists outside of the crystal. That's true. That's the crystal true. is the thing that focuses yeah. it in the mind of the consumer or customer. Yeah. In fact, even this purpose, I, I, I'm getting a little concerned the way this word has been bandied about. Mm. Uh, it's becoming almost like hackneyed. Uh, I was... Oh, sorry, I absolutely agree yeah. because I think it's become a shorthand way of saying a number of things that are not purpose. Exactly. And if you don't have a noble purpose, don't ever claim to have one because that's probably the quickest way to get people to dislike your brand. But I was um, reading an article by the CMO of Unilever, uh, a Brazilian female, I can't remember her name, and they're now talking, Unilever is now talking about brand activism, which is actually taking purpose to the next level and actually doing things which are truly 
sort of um, responding to their purpose, core purpose. Mm. And I believe only when you do things that reflect the purpose and demonstrate that you're seriously committed to purpose, there's no point in having a purpose. And purpose does not always have to be altruistic. It could be what, why, why, is, why, do you, why do people buy this product? It has to do a job that it's meant to do. They can be functional. Yeah, right? they can you be know, functional. Just improving exactly. the quality or, or yeah, existence of, some, of the customer is enough. Yeah. But uh, interesting choice, Unilever, because earlier you said brand is business and business is brand. And yet in the case of Unilever, we have a house of brands. Yeah. You know, we've got Axe and Dove. Axe is about sexual success and Dove is about real beauty. And some people say, well, how do those the purposes of those two brands inside the Unilever house of brands sit comfortably together? I think because they are targeted at different segments, they have a different function to perform, they have different functional benefits, they have different emotional benefits. But I, I think that that's, that's the core, you know, what is the core purpose of Unilever to do to help people solve problems, day-to-day problems, mm. you know, in terms of whatever it is, whatever category it is, and do it in the most ethical, sustainable way. So and that, I, I think, is, is, is that focal point of the, you know, where the light converges. I absolutely agree. The, the most inspirational part of Unilever for me is their absolute corporate um, business commitment to sustainability. To leave the world exactly. in a better place than they found it Absolutely. is inspiring to me. To get down to, you know, oh, Dove, well, I'm not in the, the core target audience for Dove, but, you know, look, I appreciate um, uh, real beauty as a, as a sentiment. And, mm. you know, I can see why teenage boys and young men want to think well, that spraying yeah. themselves yeah. with a fragrance is going yeah. to make their uh, sexual success higher. But in actual fact, from a corporate point of view and a brand point of view, this uh, absolute commitment and consistency of behavior and communication to sustainability is much more interesting. I remember reading some time ago, I don't know how accurate it is, that Unilever are not going to be publishing the quarterly results anymore. And I, when I read that, I felt so happy. I said, look, finally, there's a company which says that we're not going to be driven by our quarterly performance, mm-hmm. which is often driven by, you know, uh, the uh, investor analysts, who probably are more guided by how well the company has performed in relation to their what was expected rather than their actual absolute performance, and it sort of tends to um, inculcate a short-termism in organizations. But at least you say we are not going to be, you know really concerned about how we perform in the quarter, but we're going to look at the long term. That's part of sustainability thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think very few companies are actually doing that. And I have a lot of respect for Lever in, in that sense. Mm. I think um, it's because so many companies are caught up with having to deliver financial performance. And yet, even when you talk to companies about what their purpose is, very few of them say, oh, it's to make money for our shareholders, of course, that's part of it. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes, and I think it was from um, Built to Last, you mm-hmm. know, Jim Collins, Jim Collins, where he said, you know, profit is for business, what breathing is for human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't live to breathe. Yeah. Likewise, I have to make profit as a business to exist. 
but it's not necessarily the reason I exist. Yeah, that there is something yeah. beyond simply making profit. And, and, and I think this is also a misconception that profit and purpose are mutually exclusive. They don't have to be. In fact, one can drive the other. If you make profit only, then you can actually do some brand activism in terms of actually um, delivering something against your purpose. But at the same time, I believe a lot of the brand value discussion has been around brand value for the customer, not necessarily for the business. I think a brand has to deliver value to the customer as much as it does to the business. And this is where I think in the ebook I talk about brand value as are you able to sell the same product, exact, you know, whatever uh, product you have, and more of that product in terms of volume at the same price, or are you able to sell the same quantity at a higher price? That's a true indicator of what is your brand value. Is, does your brand command a premium? So it makes a perfect competition into imperfect competition. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't do that, I don't think the brand is, is serving any purpose. Yes, you could have a lot of more sophisticated, more robust, more reliable ways of measuring brand value. But fundamentally, if you're not able to charge a more premium price because of your brand pull, then what, what uses that brand? Or if you're not able to sell more at the same price, it's very easy to sell more by reducing price, which is what I think a lot of us do. Mm. But it's, it's important to be able to sell more at the same price. And that's a real litmus test of how strong your brand is. Mm. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the ebook, a, a brand new way to grow your business business, yeah, um, and how to increase sales and profits simultaneously. This is a, a really interesting collection of the things that you've shared on LinkedIn and then linked together with connecting thoughts. Yeah. Um, where can people get this from? I actually am thinking in terms of uh, publishing the entire ebook on LinkedIn. Uh, before Christmas, as a okay. Christmas gift, yeah. Well, look, uh, what we'll do is uh, I'll make sure that the information goes with this yeah. podcast. But the, the reason being is that uh, I've seen recently, and, and I'd be interested, uh, that there's been a number of very large brands that have started to reposition their brand, so to speak. That's the way they've described it in mm. the trades, uh, in the trade press, by going out with the big TV ad. Uh, an, an example for me would be um, uh, Telstra's repositioning around being a technology company rather mm -hmm. than a telecommunications company. The, the, the television ad has gone out with Thrive or Thrive On, uh -huh. um, but I'm just not seeing where that's flowing through the whole business. Do you think it's possible to reposition brands just with advertising and comms? I think as long as you remember that the experience is the brand, and brand is experience. If whatever Telstra is saying, and, and television as a medium, although its importance has reduced over a period of time, it still is a fairly popular medium. Not necessarily for some target audiences, but across the board, it's still. But if Telstra is just doing it through advertising and not supporting that with how the brand is experienced, mm. you know, whenever a customer interacts with the brand, then I don't think you, you can establish a brand through advertising. But if what you do through advertising also reflects how you deliver satisfaction to the customer, then I think 
it'll work. It's, it's yeah, I think you're right. But uh, before Russell Howcroft uh, phones up and says bullshit, um, I think television's a great way of getting awareness. I'm not sure, as you say, it's a great way necessarily of building a brand because brands come through experience. And that's the big difference, isn't it? Because most of our classical marketing has come from product marketing. True. And yet so much of the economy today is mm. about selling services where the product is the service. Yeah, the That's experience right. yeah. is the brand. Yeah, and I, I think this distinction between products and services, I think all that is disappearing uh, slowly. And I think a lot of the um, uh, theory that you know we learned 20 years ago, 25 years ago, is perhaps no longer relevant because I, I think in terms of uh, every product has got a service component nowadays, and every service has is productized in, in in some way. So these differences no longer are relevant when you are sort of talking about establishing brands. What is more important is trying to understand who your core target consumer is. What is it they're looking for in terms of why do people buy this product? What's what function does it deliver? And if you're able to do that in a way the customer sees more value than the money they are willing to part with, then I think you are in business. Uh, look, I agree on one level, but I, I disagree on the point of view that a pr most product manufacturers mm -hmm. do not control their distribution True. to the consumer. That ultimately, uh, and especially, you know, consumer goods, grocery goods yep. are all sold through a retailer, mm -hmm. through a third party, where the brand does not necessarily control the environment or the experience of the product that the person has. Mm -hmm. Whereas almost all services brands actually have a direct relationship because they deliver the service to the end user. Now, I know, I know in financial services you can have resellers and things like that, but don't you I, think I, that I, gives I, a, a, big, a big difference to product experience versus services experience? I, 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 think, I think the challenges in services are probably even more, in my view, only because the delivery of the service happens through people, which to a lot, despite all the automation that's happening, the involvement of people itself makes it less controllable than what it is. Whereas in the case of a product, even though it's sold through a retailer, what the product, the bundle of benefits the product is offering is still constant. Mm. Whereas in service, anything could go wrong in the process of delivery. Therefore, I believe both of them have the same challenges. But it also sort of triggers off another line of thought in my mind is in terms of, I, I, believe, I, I don't believe that companies should abrogate the responsibility of of the brand to the consumer, and there's a lot of talk of this. It's been happening for 10 years. I remember attending a conference 10 years ago. We discussed this, and I was the only one at the table who said, look, the, the company is the custodian of the brand. What the brand is, I think, is something that you need to determine. You could let people interpret the brand in ways that they see is more appropriate for their own particular individual circumstance. But companies cannot abrogate, and I see more and more of this brand which is almost hijacked in the online space by people, and to me that's a very dangerous trend, and I think we need to be able to control that. Crowdsourcing uh, brand, yes. brand yes. expressions. Hello, Lord. Yeah. Hello, Lord, that's happening, and I think companies are losing 
sort of take off? What is it that the brand? Well, is? but that goes. I, I mean, um, I mentioned to you previously that uh, you know I read the article. Uh, brand management is dead, and I went. I couldn't believe that someone would actually say that because. At the very best, you know, you, you called it um, the custodian of the brand, mm. but in actual fact, it's the, the management of the brand sits yeah. with the company, with the marketing team and everyone in the company responsible mm. for the expression of that brand, the interaction of the company and the brand yeah. with the end consumers. I think I think a more, the, if I take a step back and look at it, what are the people are referring to when they talk about brand management? I think they're talking about the brand communication management, mm. and and that because so much so much of it happens in the online space and social media, people are thinking brand management is dead. But the brand, as in terms of what the company is creating, the experience that the company is creating, is managed within the business. Absolutely. I think Seth Godin um, probably was the one who said that we are so obsessed with creating buzz in the marketplace, uh, we are forgetting that the most fundamental thing to do is to create products that create the buzz. So if you create the right kind of products, if you create the right kind of brands, which in turn automatically create the buzz in the marketplace, then you are managing the product or the brand, but then the brand communication management is happening on its own. It's, it's gone viral because the product is so good or the service is so good. And great examples of that are the four that everyone keeps using, you know, Airbnb, yeah. uh, Alibaba, uh, Uber, and what's the uh, Alibaba? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's uh, uh, Alibaba's the biggest retailer in the world that has no products. Uber's the biggest taxi service in the world that has no cars. Amazon. Uh, uh, Airbnb is the biggest hotel or accommodation in the world that has no rooms. And I still can't think of the fourth one. I think one, it was Amazon. They don't have any. Now they have started having actually book. They, they built their first store, brick and mortar, yeah, brick and which, is, which is why I believe this whole thing about analog digital. I think it's it's like in physics the duality of particle hmm. and wave. Analog and, and digital yeah. are basically two forms. Because at the very centre of it is a human experience. Exactly. Whether the person, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't walk around looking at my phone going digital moment and then yeah. looking up and seeing a sign going, oh, analog moment, yeah. and then talking to someone and going analog moment and then texting someone and going digital. It's just an experience. I think, I, I think we're talking about digital world separately is also no longer relevant because it's, it's, it's a one world. It's seamless. You know, it's absolutely seamless. I mean, you seem to be still so obsessed with, you know, doing things for the digital world. I said, look, what is that digital world? Does it exist in isolation? It doesn't. And these two are sort of almost interchangeable. Um, you, did you do chemistry? Um, yes. In, in um, benzene, it's got a hexagonal, yeah. you know, structure. It's got a single bond and a double bond of carbon and hydrogen, C6, H6 or whatever. Yeah. But what happens is the single bond turns into a double bond and the double yeah. bond turns into a single bond. It happens all the time. Yeah. Analog and digital are like that. We are in an analog world and a digital world at the same time. Mm. We seem to be forgetting that, the fact. Well, look, because I, I, um, customer experience, if this year is, uh, if there's one term this year that's been absolutely flogged to death, it's the customer journey, customer experience, customer pathway. Absolutely agree with all of it. But then when someone starts plotting for me a customer journey and it's a linear approach, I go, 
most of the customers I know act act like an electron in a cloud. That's right. Yeah, yeah. they're there one minute, gone True. the next, back again, gone, back, gone. No yeah. one follows. I don't know about you, but my life is That's not true. a linear process that leads me to making a purchase decision. That's why you know, there's a million other things happening in my life, and it just happens to be something that I'll get yeah. to along the process. But, but, but the thing that really intrigues me, in fact, um, I sort of sometimes wonder, customer experience is almost like thrown around as if <clears throat> it never sort of existed, but customer experience has always, always been existed, part of marketing. Yeah. So why do we talk about customer experience as if it's a, it's, it's, it's a new buzzword that we have now created? You know, it's, well, I've got a theory on that, and I think it's because technology Mm. is now increasing the ways that we can actually monitor customer behavior, right? Interaction points can now be using a digital or technology. We can actually monitor how people move along that path, but they do it at their own way. We might draw lines that say, well, mm. first of all, they did this and then they did that. and but we don't actually know necessarily what happened in between. Yeah. You know, things like uh, attribution modeling for digital media says, yes, we served up a display ad, but mm. then the person Googled the terms out of the display ad, the brand, within five seconds of seeing That's the right. display yeah. ad. And then they went to the website and then they did this and then they filled out this and then, and we attribute each of those to being mm. part of and their contribution towards that customer True. journey, True. right? Yeah. Suddenly it's become more tangible because in the past, so many organizations would have the retail people are over there and the sales people are mm. over there and the call center people are over there and the brand, the marketers were here basically isolated from what was happening out there yeah. in most cases. But the, the only thing is the experience, the engagement with the brand on social media, uh, a lot of it happens before the consumer has, has bought, the, bought the product or service. Um, even the content that we, we sort of uh, put, for, put forward is in terms of you know, uh, telling a brand story and how other people have used the product. But the real experience starts after a customer has bought the product or a service and what, what happens to them when they are actually experiencing the product, what are the kind of frustrations. That is the brand experience and that I think is, defines the brand. I mean, I've had some hilarious experiences where I, I sort of uh, put an email, you can't get in touch with this company um, by telephone. <laughs> so online I said, look, I want to be able to change my payment method from this card to this card. Promptly within 24 hours, I get an email saying, oh, thank you, we've we sort of received your email, we're cancelling your service. So <laughs> I had to go back to them and say, look, I didn't want to cancel the service. All I wanted to change do was my payment, payment talk. Yeah. And could you please uh, call me at this number? They said, no, we don't have ability to actually speak, speak to you. you. <laughs> so this is similar to what happened with you. It's, Citibank, yeah. uh, card or whatever. So um, I said, okay, how do you, then I, again, I had to explain the whole thing. And then the second time it was eventually fixed, but I said, look, what's the point in having all these opportunities to interact with the customer? If we can't even get it right. LinkedIn sends me ads. I don't know. I've never, I've been out of the employment market for 15 years saying jobs that you would be interested. The first one on top was dentist. I said, I certainly make people uncomfortable when they sit next to me. <laughs> it's a very painful ex you know, experience when they talk but to I'm me. But I know I'm not a dentist, you know, yeah. for God's sake. So 
when they know about you, when they see a profile and, mm. and LinkedIn actually says that I could be a dentist, it really worries me as to are we getting so caught up in the, you know, in the, in the moment that we don't even take a step back and say, look, is this relevant or not? I think somehow differentiation seems to have trumped our relevance. We have yeah. sacrificed relevance for differentiation. And, and also um, something you mentioned before when you're talking about buzz, you know, we also think new and entertaining are more important than relevant and informative. That's right. And in fact, and yet they're all equally uh, great ways of engaging particular customers absolutely. at particular points absolutely. in time. And one of my favorite expressions is that newness has actually overwhelmed freshness. I, can, I believe a brand can be fresh yeah. and remain fresh. Yes, it needs to reinvent itself over a period of time as, as the market changes and the, and the target market changes and if you're repositioning it to a different segment. But everything that's new, we seem to sort of just grab it, you mm. know, without even thinking whether that's relevant to what I'm doing or not. Similarly, being distinctive and being differentiated is very important. But if you're not being relevant to the customer, in terms of the customer needs, I don't think I, I don't think it's, it really makes any difference. Just being different. In fact, this is the other other thing. I I believe that customer needs also include customer well-being. This going back to the brand and its purpose. I don't think we are we have actually recognized and embraced well-being as one of the needs of a customer, whether it's a product you're selling or a service you're selling. Customer well-being must be a part of every marketer's charter in terms of is this in the interest of the customer or not otherwise don't sell the product and that is going to be a big leap of faith for a lot of us in marketing mm. i think it's going to be a big leap of faith. i think I, I can already think of uh, some particular categories that that will be particularly <laughs> challenging i know for. it would be very challenging <laughs> but but i mean i'm not saying that you should not sell some product but you still need to be concerned about the customer's well-being mm. when you are promoting anything about the product or service. Well, that's why I go back to Unilever. You know, I find it inspirational for a company of that size yeah. to have an overriding purpose of making a sustainable business, you know, and yeah. their commitment to, yeah. and that's not just, it's economic and environmental and, uh, and human resource sustainability. True. Uh, it's not just one dimensional, it's multi-dimensional. That's true. Um, and, and for me, that's, uh, that's, an example of where the CEO, and perhaps, I'm not sure, but even the board, have all aligned and made a commitment to the purpose of the organisation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was reading, I didn't read the article fully, but I was reading uh, the back page, Chanticleer, or on, in FinReview, where the entire C-suite of, uh, of Coles were asked to go to Coles supermarkets given $150 and asked to buy a week's grocery and their experience, how they struggle in getting, and, and then they sort of validated this with actual consumers to say, they wanted to see how, you know, the increasing cost of living pressures are affecting people's weekly shopping. I thought that was a phenomenal idea. It was mm -hmm. brilliant, absolutely. I wish more marketers did that, actually go and did what the consumer actually does, he or she does, mm -hmm. because that's the only way one of my favorite quotes is, before, before you get into a customer's shoes, you need to take off your own shoes. Yeah. I think we are so sort of, you know, comfortable in our own shoes 
you won't, don't want to take those shoes off and get into the customer's shoes. Because only when you do that, you actually realize what is the value that you can get for whatever money you're paying and does it sort of compare favorably with what the customer is looking for. It's, it's always been one of the bugbears for me about corporate structure. Mm -hmm. In corporate structure, the more senior and experienced you become within an organization, the, the more further you, you get, the, yeah, the further <laughs> you get away from the very customers that create the value sure. within the organization that pays your salaries, that pays, you know, and creates the wealth that pays you That's to right. have the lifestyle right. you uh, And then we also don't involve the frontline staff to be, to provide input into our strategic planning process because, and that's very important because they know exactly what happens in the call phase in terms of the customer interaction. Mm -hmm. I mean, earlier we were talking about shareholders thing. My, my view of this is that you keep your employees happy, your customers will be delighted and then the shareholders will become ecstatic. But That's, if you start with mm -hmm. the shareholders and you start eroding value, cutting back on things, then it, it's going to reduce the value for the customer. It's also going to reduce the benefits for the employees. It actually is going to be a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. So you start with the employees, customer, shareholders. That's a uh, Richard Branson philosophy. He says, make your, make your staff Happy to be at work, happy to do, to do yeah, the work. And, and people will go to any length to make sure that the customer is happy. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not saying that you give away things to the customer, but you need to make sure that the experience is positive and something that the customer will talk about to other people and come back to the company if there is an opportunity to buy. Because ultimately, that's what the brand is. You know, people have a certain assurance of quality, satisfaction and experience and it is actually encapsulating all that in the brand so that when they buy the same product or service the next time, they could expect to receive mm. a similar bundle of benefits and value and satisfaction. Now, I just noticed the time, but there's okay. another topic I want to um, pick up on, and that is uh, this idea of omni-channel <laughs> marketing, because it seems to be the buzzword. Um, but from my experience, what it means is uh, getting matching collars and cuffs across as many different uh, uh interaction touch points or cha uh, communication channels as possible. What, what do you think? I probably, my views are a little different to what most people, I, I believe it's something which is getting to be suboptimal in terms of how we are spending our money. Uh, somehow we seem to have this grandiose view that we have to be present in every platform, every hour of the day, so that the consumer is able to sort of interact with the brand whenever he or she you know, finds it convenient. Um, Don Shoes has done some good work, I think, in, in terms of integrated uh, marketing communications, and there's some good work there in terms of, which starts from the consumer in terms of how consumer uh, consumes the media, and then looking at various product categories, and it's, it's, it's good work. But I, I believe fundamentally, if your communication is engaging Today we have multiple platforms. If consumer sees it in one platform, if I see something on WhatsApp, I'll probably share it with my WhatsApp group, other people. I might share it on Facebook or I might share it on LinkedIn if it's relevant to that audience. So people themselves will be spreading the message in different platforms. You don't have to necessarily do that in every platform for you to be able to reach people. The amount of time that's available in a day is fixed, it's 24 hours. And we are trying to sort of actually send out more and more messages 
to people in more and more channels on more and more platforms. And that's only going to, you know, that's the term entropy again. It's, it's going to increase the entropy yeah. in, the, in the environment. As a result, you will continuously want to do better. And that's why this mad rush after newness, you always want to be new because you want to be seen in this, in this noise, noisy environment. Yeah. I believe that is not going to be a sustainable way of, of communicating. You probably need to segment your channels and platforms the same way you segment markets. We've forgotten segmentation because we believe now we can now reach um, every individual customer. So we have a segment of one and therefore we don't need to segment it. So segmentation is dead would be another headline, right, I'm yeah. sure. Okay, like brand management is dead. But we need to be able to segment consumers 24 hours, we need to be able to segment channels, segment platforms, and then be a little smarter in terms of how we get the message across, rather than expect to do everything in every platform. Well, what the way this occurs for us, Mahesh, is that we get a lot of marketers that are trying to do a thousand things with a very limited budget. And so what they've done is effectively spread the budget very thin and done none of it well. And one of the things that uh, I always ask is, have you actually looked at indexing mm. your audience against each of these channels? Because it would seem to me that using the channels that have the higher proportion of your audience engage with those exactly. channels would then make it more relevant. Absolutely. And then the second filter is context. Yeah. Is it appropriate for you to be engaging in a conversation or a, you know, yeah. or, 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 or presenting them with something in that particular channel at that particular time yeah. in a way that they're open In fact, to you sort of triggered off another thought, my, my peeve about content. I mean, that's another word that's been content. bandied around so much. And I, I say, look, you've got to look at context first mm. and, and then content. When X becomes N, then context becomes content. Mm. Yep. Okay, but if you don't understand what the context is, if you don't know what the context is, and you don't know the value of X, and then therefore you can't define your content. Mm. And I've I've seen marketers wanting to, you know, sort of put forth more and more content, without necessarily saying what is the context of this. Is, does it make is this relevant to the customer? Does it? But I think somewhere we got sucked into this vortex of. You know, as someone used this expression, uh, trying to get a sip out of the fire hydrant of, of information and messaging and communication. I think there's a f we have all these fire hydrants of communication, but people are not able to get even a, one sip yeah. of, of, of that message across. And that, to me, is a very, very, very dangerous trend that's happening in marketing. You know? Well, Mahesh, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave oh, it there. Oh, no, I understand. Yeah, But uh, it's been a terrific conversation about brands, about purpose, yeah. and about uh, marketing in general. Uh, I want to thank you. And uh, thank look, you, I Darren. look forward to uh, uh, being able to share your ebook through uh, LinkedIn. I've got a question for you just before we finish up, though. Yeah. What do you think is the best brand example in the world? <laughs>